Lord, we bless you and we say thank you for your faithfulness, your grace and mercy towards us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin and redemption for our souls. You forgive us and you forget, you, you remember no more. What a wonderful God, Lord, we have. We bless you, Lord. We pray that, Lord, you bless your word in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit inspire and guide us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Abide with me is the topic for today. Abide with me. Or abide with us. Struggle a little bit with the with, with the topic. Up to yesterday, eight PM he was back to the basics. And then in the midnight he changed it to abide with me. <laughs> in John chapter fourteen, verse three, the Lord Jesus promised. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may, you may be also. That's a promise from the Lord. From the event described in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we know that our Lord ascended to heaven. He went to prepare a place for us, and he will return to take us with him. Therefore, it is important that we take that promise seriously and live accordingly. Remember in Act 1.11, as the Lord ascended, the disciples were there, they were looking, The word is gazing. Uh, many years ago, I did not know what gazing means meant. And I was teaching the children at home, and then I say, what is gazing? Salil was about four or five. He say, it's like when you love a girl, you want to marry her, and you're looking at her. I say, wow, you start early. <laughs> uh, gazing. Maybe had a point because the church is gazing at Jesus, the bridegroom. <laughs> we will read two or three main scriptures today and share how we should be waiting for the coming back of the Lord. The second coming is not the same as the rapture. They are two different events, but part of the same program. Well, some people don't believe in, the, in rapture, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, I see it very clearly in the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, you can't interpret that otherwise. The Lord will descend, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we with them 
shall be caught up in the air to meet with the Lord. How do you interpret that otherwise? So, the second coming is not the same event as rapture. Rapture or apadso is the is the Greek word, which means to pluck, to pull, to take, to snatch away, or to take to oneself. But but to take or to pluck or to pull by force is done by force. If you a believer in Jesus Christ saved and redeemed by his blood and eagerly waiting for him however much you love your wife or your husband if they are not believers however much you love them Christ will snatch you away that's the idea. Pluck, pull, take away. With force. It doesn't matter how much you love them. If they don't have Christ, they will stay and you will be taken. By force. Because the life of Christ is in you. So the, words, the word is uh, apadzo. That's the word that's translated in the New Testament by caught up or caught away. You know when the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, after the baptism with Philip, you know, Philip was caught away. Arpezzo. Snatched away. He disappeared. Then you have the second coming. The second coming. The parousia. Arpezzo for rapture, parousia for coming. From the Greek, the word coming is also represented by the word parousia. Parousia means presence, a being present, a coming to a place or arrival. And this term is used for the coming of Christ. In Matthew 24, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, verse 19, etc. Then you have Maran Atha. Maran Atha. Maran Atha. This is another term which relates to the coming of the Lord. This word is a Greek transliteration from ancient Chaldeans' language, Aramaic. It's made of two words. Maran, Ather. The Lord has come. In the New Testament, in the history of the church, it has come to mean, come, Lord. But it also the idea of 
and approaching divine judgment as well. Lord, come. The judgment of God is approaching, is coming. So, rapture harpazo, second coming parousia, Maranatha, Lord, come. Maranatha appears in the in First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse twenty-two. If you're interested in all these verses, you can just take my notes afterward, or I can send it to, it, to you. <laughs> and he's also mentioned in Revelation twenty-two ten. You know, um, the spirit and the bride say, "Come." Now the first reading. Remember the topic? Abide with me. First reading, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. At Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day not it. Now, this word, I've struggled to pronounce this word. It's, it's written very, but it says revel. How do you pronounce this? There is a U in pronunciation. Revelry. Anyone can help? How to pronounce that? Revelry. Re? Revelry. I don't know where the U is coming from. In the, that's why I'm struggling when I was trying to pronounce it. <laughs> Revelry. Okay. You have it. <laughs> okay. The word you've just said. And drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Why? Verse 11. Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. So everything that flows there is because our salvation is nearer. So that kind of uh, living should be a consequence of the realization that our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. Therefore, let us walk properly. Properly. Not anyhow. Properly. This passage encourages a life of spiritual alertness and sanctification because time is short. Our salvation is nearer than ever. The Savior is coming back to take his own to his father's home as he promised. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself 
just as he, Christ, is pure. 1 John 3, 3. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. This age is like a night of sin, which is about to end. The day of eternal glory is coming for the believers. Therefore, we should cast off all filthiness and worldliness. That is everything associated with unrighteousness and evil. We should put on the arm of light, the protective covering of a holy life, as also listed in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. And that applies to all believers. You know, sometimes when you quote these things or you pray into these things or you quote them and you pray, the night is fast spent and the day approaches. And then sometimes you do the opposite. And you say the day is fast spent and the night approach. And you say, oh, it doesn't matter, they are interchangeable. Well, you're right. Because in Luke 24, verse 29, it says the same thing in a reverse way. Abide with us, for the day is far spent, and the evening approaches, is at hand. Exactly the same, but day and night are just displaced for a very good reason. So you're right. If you confuse a little bit, it's okay. It's in the Bible. Verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day. The emphasis here is on our practical Christian work. As the children of the day, as children of the day, we should work as sons of light, the Bible says. What does a Christian have to do with... uh, Someone mentioned to me something called wild parties. Wild parties. It means a party where people do whatever they want to do. Whatever they want to do. Lawlessness is limitless. They call it wild parties. What does a Christian have to do with something like that? What does a Christian have to do with drunkenness? Vile excesses, debauchery, fornication, adultery, spiritism, astrology, yoga, mysticism, witchcraft. These are works of darkness. We are called to work properly. Because we are children of light, we need to work as children of light. Question. Hmm. 
Verse 12. The night is far spent. Verse 13. Let us work properly as in the day. How, how can you work? Question. How can we work in the, as in the day when the night is far spent? How is that possible? The night is far spent and we are commanded to work as in the day. Set of inconsistencies there. Well, the only way you can work in the night time as it was, it was in the day is if there is street light. Or in the time these things were being written, if you have your lamp. I can see you know already where I'm going with this. A lamp. Psalm 119105. That's the only way you can walk in a dark space without hurting is if you have a lamp. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. But the lamp itself needs oil in order to shine. In Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13, we have a description of the parable of the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom. Five among them were wise enough and made enough provision for oil. As the bridegroom delayed, they all slept. And the other five virgins ran out of oil and were not able to meet the bridegroom at the cry of his coming. Lamp, oil, to walk in this ever-increasing dark world. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. And it's because of the presence of his spirit that Christ will recognize those who belong to him. Let's make sure that we have received Christ. These are very serious stuff. Husband, make sure that you have received Christ. Otherwise, you will bitterly miss your wife one day, and vice versa. It doesn't mean it's 50 50 with rapture. No, it does mean that. God will take the one he knows. If you are faking, then it will be revealed on that day. When the bridegroom came in Matthew 25, there was a cry. Bridegroom is here. And everybody was. And the other one could not find a way. There was no oil. They couldn't identify. But the wise one were able not only to hear, but to go and identify. 
the cry. You know, I was telling you that uh, there is uh, this issue of uh, night fast spend and days at end, etc. And I was thinking, so where, what's the answer then? In the parable of the virgin, I found the answer. Midnight. Midnight. The cry was at midnight, just in the middle. Midnight. The peak of lawlessness and, and darkness. Christ will come back. There was a cry. The groom is here. What does the Bible say? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. This is called the blessed hope. That's what we're looking forward to. And that can happen anytime. Anytime. Yeah, the church has become, it to be, has become a little bit complacent now. You know, we've got into all sorts of arguments and controversies and, and head knowledge. We quite enjoy that, you know, post, pre, me, whatever it is there. But Christ is coming to take his church. For salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And we quite enjoy, you know, petty argument and gossip and complaint. We just say, now we should stir up one another in love. Admonish one another, warn one another, and wait for Christ. So that none of us will stay behind. We need to be watchful. Christ is coming. He will recognize those who are his. The Lord will will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The Bible says the trumpet shall sound. It will sound. Now, question. Are you and I going to hear the shouts of that holy convocation? That can be frightening. I shared with the children yesterday, 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 and I say, what will be the nature of that sound? What will be the nature of that sound? Will I hear that sound? How would that be? The shout will be a command, a military command, an order to snatch. It's an order. It's not begging, it's not a suggestion. Because of that, because we don't know the how or the day, let us work properly. 
as in the day. Because Christ is coming back. Well, it's not about wishful thinking. It's the reality. People are closing ranks. It takes courage. It takes determination. For this reason, in Romans chapter 13 verse 14, we are commanded to walk properly as in the day. Not in, I'm skipping that word, it's too difficult to pronounce, and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. We are commanded to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the word of God is not a it's not a suggestion. They are commandments. One of the name of the word of God is precept, commandment, instructions, how to lead a godly life that is pleasing to God. We can't have the Bible here and then we just do our own things because God is love. That's dangerous. We should make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The flesh here means the old and corrupt nature that persists with its demands. He won't leave us alone. No. The flesh wants more comfort, more luxury, sexual indulgence, Vanity, worldly pleasure, dissipation, materialism, etc. That's what the flesh wants. You know. To sit in front of the telly watching the Olympic for 20 hours, you know. King's coronation, however long it takes. But there's no one hour for prayer meeting. You know, that's too difficult, you know. You can sit in front of the TV, you know, and uh, etc. <laughs> that's the flesh. The flesh can go in a party and stay until one in the morning just enjoying nice music, nice food, etc. In the word of God, oh no, it's so boring. Oh. But the Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go in the house of God. That is spiritual. That is a spiritual reality. To love God things and God house is a spiritual reality, evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If anyone is in Christ, the new creature, new creation, everything has passed away, all things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. In Matthew chapter 5, remember, we are commanded to walk properly. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, the Lord says that we are, number one, salt of the earth. Because we bring hope and a nice flavor to this world. But there is more to it, to the saltiness thing. There is more to it. 
Salt can help prevent heat cramping. Cramping? Cramp? You know? Muscle pulling? Salt help prevent that. In some sports drink, they put a bit of salt. In some diet for sport people during big competition, they take, you know, salty stuff. Because salt prevents heat cramping. Now, a lot of cramps are coming in this world. A lot of them. And you are the salt. Hmm. It is a responsibility. This is part of, uh, this bit is part of the baptism course, number four. So, Ian may be bored with this. <laughs> Cramps are coming. A lot of crises are coming in this world. Christians, what do we do? We are the hope. Because Christ is in us. We are the hope. We intercede for nations, for the country. We lobby for good, for godly morality. We try to cast our vote with sense. We, we look at everything from the lens of the Bible. That's called world view. That is the point from which you look at something. We look from the Bible perspective. We analyze everything. A lot of charitable works, etc. Christian charities, we help, we give them, we help, etc. We do what we can while we're here. Salt in this world. Cramps are coming. Big ones are coming. Now, if we fulfill that function, where is the hope if believers themselves are complainers? They complain about every little thing. The BBC has done it again. The inflation. and the, So they go to work. They meet unbelievers they're the ones complaining first. Where is hope? Believers, because we have Christ. Yes, we have all those things, but each other's needs to prefer. So we should be the ones bringing hope. We should be the ones saying, oh, how are you today? I'm not feeling well. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. The Lord will help you. I'm going to pray for you. We should be the one because we have the answer. But if we are the first complainers about everything, you know, at work, everybody, you know, you meet in the corridor, they turn away because Mr. Complaining or Mrs. Complain is coming. Well, if you're sleeping, I'm going to keep you awake with this story then, which I wasn't meant to say. I was, many, many years ago, I was working in London Bridge and I was catching the bus at South Bank University, bus 35. You know, South Bank University, bus stop is really packed with students, everybody going toward bank and mortgage, etc. And we were rushing to get to work. The bus was packed, full. So we all just jumped in the bus and people pushing it, each other, etc. 
then I heard a lady shouting at someone. What the hell is this? Can you behave? What? There's no room. Everybody's, you know, everybody. And then she said, "Oh, my Jesus was right with the vision he showed me this morning. This is the devil." You won't get anywhere behind me, Satan. And then she start talking. My Jesus, you know, he prev- you know, he wants me beforehand. Oh. And I was there. Next to me, my colleague from work, a Muslim, who knows that I'm a Christian. And the lady kept on swearing and saying that and, 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 and persecuting that man and uh, Salt and light in the world. <laughs> Sad, isn't it? How are we known in our workplace? <laughs> How are we known in our workplace? Kind, gentle, respectful, considerate, or something else? I remember a brother who visited a sister at work and uh, while she was waiting at the reception uh, the receptionist said are you uh, her brother he said yes her brother in Christ I said oh you're a Christian she's a Christian is she a Christian are you joking light and salt we all quiet here but the testimony outside salt and light sad tragic big hit crumbs are coming in this world and Christians should seek the Lord more than ever and bring hope to this desperate and dying world. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. We see quite a lot of stuff and jokes. You see people in street corners. Uh, evangelizing. You Muslim. You followers of Muhammad, the pedophile, you will go to hell publicly. And they do that with, uh, they say, yeah, you can't persecute me, I'm live online. You know, and they're insulting everybody. And they say, we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Fake. Is that being salt and light? Problems. We are the light of the world. If the light that is in us becomes darkness, where is hope? How thicker will darkness be? If the darkness that is in us, if the light that is in us becomes darkness, how big will darkness be? And despair and desperation in this world. Well, about the salt, the Bible says that if the salt loses its flavor, its saltiness, 
is only good to be thrown away and trampled on by men. It's mere human righteousness. Righteousness. You can't win the Pharisees and the Sadducees with your righteousness. It's impossible. The Bible says unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can't surpass those ones. You know, they had a heart with a list of the sins forgiven. You can't do better than that. But if we miss the righteousness of God, it's a set of rules that is left there. Where therefore it's comparative, comparable with any other rules. Is the righteousness of Christ. Christ living in us. That's what we need. Not a set of rules. Unfortunately, many Christians, that's how they see Christianity. As a set of rules. Well, true believers don't see that. True believers look at the word of God, they see happiness and joy. They see hope in it. But other people look and they see, oh, it's a list of don't and do's. These things are appreciated spiritually. If the light that is in us becomes darkness, how thicker will darkness be? We are children of light and not children of darkness. And there's no fellowship between light and darkness. We cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons. We can't praise God and practice yoga and astrology and read crystal balls. We can't partake to both. Now. We cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the same time at the table of demons. We are called to examine ourselves whenever we partake to the Lord's table because many people have died spiritually. Because of playing with God. Faking God. It's not routine. We are called to examine ourselves. The Lord's table. Yes we do it fortnightly. But it's not a routine. It's a very 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 important time. And we got to pray about it. Well I think in the. In the not now. I have put communion so that you know when it's happening. And have no fellowship with unfruitful work of darkness, but rather expose them. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. Have nothing to do with darkness, but expose them. Hating to a filthy garment, defiled garment. That's an instance where we are allowed to hate. Sin. Have nothing to do with darkness. Now. So, we are salt of the earth, we are light of the world. 
But we are also a city set on a hill. I mentioned to you the testimony at work, in the wider society, in families, in friendship. We can't hide. If we want to hide, something is wrong. We have to be transparent as believers. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Do you know that some people don't have yes in their vocabulary anymore? Is I guess. Probably. Maybe. That is called lack of commitment. A Christian says yes or no. If I don't know, I don't know. Someone wants to say, oh, things are changing, the meaning of word are changing, green is the new black. Well, in your mind, but green remains green and black remains black. A city set on a hill. Well, this may not make much sense to you if you live here, but it makes much sense elsewhere. Jennifer and I recently visited Thessaloniki. Over, we say here Thessalonica, they say Thessaloniki. Uh, and there is an impressive city which is set on a high hill, a whole city. And when you're on that city, you can't appreciate the agency. Agency. You know where Paul did the second, second missionary trip, etc. You can see from the beauty of that city. So everybody can see that city. You know, now we understood quite a lot that the Western understanding, even of Christianity itself, poses problem. So we've hijacked and we've fabricated our own stuff and we feel, oh, we started it. Now, people had a complete different understanding. Of things. When Paul is talking about preaching in the marketplace, you cannot understand. If you've been to Greece and you see what marketplace means, it's not a place where they just you know sell fruits, etc. No. You have witchcraft, you have magicians, you have all sorts of things there. And that's where Paul was going to preach. You are a city set on a hill. You cannot hide. You have Christ. You are Christ ambassador. You are the hope of this world. Christ exhort through you. Be totally transparent and honest. And filled with the spirit of God. And love his words. And love Jesus. Allow Jesus to live in you. And to manifest. Jesus is the mystery of godliness. Is the power of the newness of life. Because of his resurrection. May the power of his resurrection be real in your life and in my life. Unto God glory.
question. As Christ ambassadors, what is your testimony in the society? Again, this is part of our fourth lesson in baptism. Practical Christian living. How are we known in our workplace and everywhere? The reason I'm repeating these questions is because the society we live in has its, its traits, its features, its paradigms. So you can't define our society just by pointing to elements of prevailing dominant cultural expectations. For instance, everyone expects everyone to be rude in today's society. Politeness, respect is out of norm. I was coming from collecting our last, uh, our, our youngest son from school, and in front of me there were four school girls, secondary school. And they were chatting, they were having good time as they always do, the happiest time to his home time. And I was coming behind them, and they were busy chatting, and one of them realized that I wanted to pass. And she just moved out of the way and she said, Oh, sorry, uncle. I said, Ah, school girl in England. Sorry, uncle. Second school girl. Bless your parents. I wish I could write to their parents. In England, school girl. Home time. Sorry, uncle. I said, Wow. Praise the Lord for the parents of this child. He's gone the other. They don't care. They don't care. You can stay behind 20 minutes. They don't care. In the bus, I've seen school girl insulting a policeman in the bus. And another one pushing an old man who nearly fell down. They don't care. Prevailing culture. You can define the prevailing culture just by rudeness. Why should I respect you? I feel more sophisticated than you. In my mind, you're just a pile of junk. Why should I respect you? You know nothing. Get lost. Wow. I am more evolved than you. Prevailing culture. How do we conduct ourselves in such culture? Do we follow the flow as well? Well, I'm talking about outside. It can be very worrying in the church itself where you can no longer say anything. Anything. Now, the house of God, there is a way of conducting to make a difference in the house of God. Someone coming from that background, when they come in the church, must say, wow, this is a different place. You know, look at the way young people are dressed. Look at the way ladies dress so decently. Look at men, you know. I was in a church at Bridge Lane. There was a time where things went out of control and uh, between us elders we had a meeting and we, we announced that from today 
No short allowed for men. Well, a bit extreme, but some ladies were complaining. And now a man who is coming in the church, see, the buttons here, open until here. He's coming. And he's complaining, ladies are not dressing decently. I said, come on. And we wrote down one, two, three, four, five, terminé, fini. It's summer. It's summer. You're going to die because of 90 minutes in the church. With all the window open. Allez, put your trousers to come to church. And dress decently. Because you're disturbing ladies as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, salt and light. The prevailing, the prevailing culture is one of total rudeness as the norm. In fact, dominant cultural paradigms are now ungodliness. You want to define our society? Ungodliness. Greed, rudeness, selfishness, nature worshipping, belief in evolution, in reincarnation, blasphemy, spiritism, occultism, rebellion, extreme love for limitless entertainment, economic crisis, desperation, widespread moral decay. It's, that's our society. What do we do? as salt and light. What do we do? By which moral standard are we going to live? In particular, when people are saying, well, that's good for you, not for me. What do we do? Well, we have no control over everything that happens in the society, but we are responsible for our opinion, for our perception of what is happening. We are responsible for our action and reactions of what is happening. We can't control everything, but we are responsible for our perception. Remember, I was talking about over uh, world view. We are responsible for the interpretation of the events. If people do immoral things and we say, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, that's great then we are responsible for that. As a Christian, we should condemn evil. We've been told that we should expose, you know, uh, uh, darkness, works of darkness. So we're not responsible of everything that is happening, but we are responsible of our reaction. We should not support a charity that is promoting ungodliness. We should not support them. We are responsible for that. Yes, we need to be at peace with all and promote unity, but not at the expense of God's requirements. Well, if you live somewhere and people say, let's gather together and pray for peace in the name of social justice and peace, so we come there, the Hindu, the animal worshippers, and everybody. Do you know what worshipper does? When we pray here, we worship God. What do we do? We want to be in the presence of God and we want God to be present there. Yeah? That's worship. So when you associate yourself with animal ancestors, Hindus, etc., worshippers, that's exactly what you're doing. You're entering into fellowship with strange fire in the name of peace. Now, 
We should not pursue peace at the expense of God's requirements. No. And by the way, we need to seek peace with God first. And with all fellow human beings, as we are called to be peacemakers. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God, the Lord. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We don't have control over everything people do to us, but we need to be armed with a spirit of peace in our hearts. If we pray to the Lord, he will give us peace that will also impact the society around us. We need to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Those things are dangerous. We need to avoid playing with fire. We've been redeemed by Christ. We've been saved by Christ. Let us now go back like dogs going back to what they vomited. Now, let's just follow Christ to the end. As a conclusion, second reading, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're reading two verses. Luke 24, verse 28 to 29. This is the story of the disciple of Emmaus. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he, that's Jesus Christ, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. Verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. He indicated that he wanted to continue the journey. The Lord indicated that he wanted to continue the journey. The Lord will never violate anyone's will. Now, they constrained him. They pressed him to enter in their home. You call on Christ, he will never reject you. But Christ will not violate your will. You say, I'm a Christian, I don't want to grow. Christ will not force you. He's given us everything that pertains to life, eternal life and godliness. Are we going to grab those things? Are we going to work in those things? Or are we going to do our own things? The Lord will not violate anyone's will. They constrain him. That is, they seriously invited Christ in their home. Seriously. Now, come. They invited him. Have you seriously invited Christ in your life? 
or you just love the good music in the church, chatting a little bit, and uh, you know it's less boring. You, know, you like music, and uh, have you invited Christ? If yes, when did that happen? What is your testimony? What happened when you gave your life to Christ? What's your testimony? Someone said to me, Well, God is good. I've always been a Christian. They constrained him. They seriously invited him. Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. What happened? Yeah? Then their eyes were open, and they knew him. First of all, they invited Christ seriously. Seriously. He came. But they're the ones inviting him. They should be busy with setting the table and doing things. Because he's invited there. He takes the bread. He blessed. Give them. He's the bread of life. The eyes are open and they know Christ. Do we know Christ? We want to know a lot, isn't it? We want to be scholars. We want to know, 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 know a lot. We all want to be C.S. Lewis. Everybody. Everybody's an apologetist. Everybody knows everything. It doesn't work like that. This is how it works. I'm going to tell you. You invite Christ in your heart first, then he opens your eyes. Otherwise, it is an intellectual, lifeless exercise. You give Christ the right space in your heart, he reveals himself to you. And you can live a victorious life of loving God. That's how it works. They opened their heart to the Lord, he opened their eyes, and they knew him. Oh, that beautiful song. The friendship of God is for those who love him and fear his name. You want to be friend to God? He will open your eyes. He will provide. There was a man called Henry Francis Light. Many of you may know the, the, the story. He wrote a song in 1847. But he was dying of Tuberculosis, that's how you say it? Tuberculosis? Okay. He was dying. few hours before dying, he wrote this song. Abide with me. He died without putting the music on it. In 1861, another man called William Monk came to compose, to write the melody of the music. But he himself lost his daughter. 
tragedy everywhere. And he gave the name Even Tide. And the song is today known as Abide with me slash even tide. A combination of tragedy. People who trust God to the end. Even tide is an old name for evening. When other helpers fail and comfort flee. Help of the helpless. Abide with me. Why don't wait the last day to say that? Serve the Lord while you're still strong. Young people, this is the time to write your history. If not now, then when? When? What is your story? Empty dispute and argument? What is your story? When I was 20, this is what I did with God. When I was 25, this is where I was with God. When I was 45, this is where the... Caleb, at 85, remind what he did when he was 40. What is your story, young people, today? With God. Don't wait to the last. When that day comes, you're about to breathe your last. Be at peace if you've wisely used the time God has given to you. Looking forward now to meet the one you've worshipped every day. It's no time for complacency. Abide with me. We're going to close with a song. Chris is going to lead us and going to sing that song. And you're going to close in prayer after that. Praise the Lord. Amen.